Good morning, Ocean View. It's great to be with you on this fifth Sunday in the season of Lent. You know, I want to get real with you this morning and talk about what's going on in our world right now. Our lives have radically changed just from a month ago. I read this article by Stephanie O'Neill. She's a writer for NPR. And she had a great article this week online called, The Coronavirus Has Upended Our World. It's okay to grieve. In this article, O'Neill quotes Frances Weller, a psychotherapist from California. And she said this, it feels like a free fall. What we once held as solid is no longer something we can rely upon. And this free fall is happening because everything that was normative in our lives is now gone. Our routines are lost. Jobs, for some, have been lost. For others who continue to work, our workplaces aren't even safe anymore, and they're at risk because they don't have the basic um, supplies necessary to keep them safe. For some, money is in short supply because of those lost jobs. And for those who are relying upon their retirement funds that they've accumulated all their lives, they're watching the stock market just keep plunging in value. We've lost our social connections with our friends. The ways we've connected with them in the past, we can't do now. The gatherings over coffee and perhaps wine. The bridge game that's been canceled. The circles that were part fun and part mission are postponed to later. And we don't know what that later will be. We've lost our connections with the people we even work with because they've become like our second family and we rely upon them. Our children can't visit. Our grandchildren can't visit. And for those who have family in those really hard-hit places right now, we pray that our family and friends do not get this virus and, God forbid, die. Because that is a possibility for some people who contract this virus. And because we're dependent on the news to keep up to date on the latest developments, we are bombarded with images. Images of nurses talking about working in war zones, exhausted doctors, Pleas for ventilators, mothers and fathers who have to work and have no daycare, or schools that are open. Workers using the same masks for I don't know how long. And people dying alone. Think about that, dying alone, because their loved ones are being kept away to keep them safe. We see these pictures every day. And I don't know about you, but this is overwhelming to me. And there's really only one word to describe how we feel right now. It's grief. Grief isn't just something that we feel when we lose somebody we love. Grief is the feeling we have inside over any loss. And look at all the losses I've just named that we're experiencing right now. Sonia Lada, Philadelphia-based psychologist who actually specializes in grief counseling, said this, left unrecognized and unattended Grief can negatively impact every aspect of our being, whether it's physically, cognitively, emotionally, and yes, spiritually. I've had a lot of experience with grief in my life, and I recognize it when I see it and when I experience it. And even though I know I'm one of the lucky ones that are quarantined right now, I'm grieving. I am grieving. I have a job, a wonderful husband, a beautiful home, I have a place to go outside. I have access to enough food and supplies and the ability to get those supplies. And still, I feel grief right now. I'm afraid for Megan and Mike and grandchildren in New York. 
I miss so dearly my friends and the connections that feed my soul. I grieve deeply the inability, I know this sounds simple, to go to the beach and smell the ocean and listen to the waves coming in and out and feeling the sand in my toes. And I watch the news and I'm not lying over this. I cry over the pain and grief and fear I see out there. And the one thing we, you and I, have always counted on in our lives is church. Once a week, gathering together, sharing peace, praying together with one voice, singing hymns with gusto, whether we have a voice or not, hearing the band and the choir. Yes, touching one another, whether it's with a handshake or a hug or just even a touch on the shoulder. And Ocean View, <laughs> once I let you go in the middle of worship to go past the peace, I can't get you back into your pews. That's how much you love connecting with one another, even with those that are visiting on Sundays. And I miss you. I miss you a lot. I miss being in connection directly with you. While I'm preaching with you, for you today, right now, and I'm grateful that we have this media forum, at least, I long to be with you. This grief isn't something we can solve today. Grief is meant, though, to be acknowledged and to be willing to name it. That's the first step in our passing through grief. I'm confident that these days are not gonna last forever. Our country is too smart. A vaccine will be figured out one day, hopefully sooner than later. But in the meantime, we must acknowledge this, these daily losses in our life and recognize the grief that we feel. And acknowledging that grief leads us to remember what is important, what never changes, and what is life-giving even in this place. So I want to share a familiar story with you. It's from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. I'm going to say that again. John 11, 1 through 45. It's the narrative, narrative of Jesus as he has a special relationship with his family, with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but it's 45 verses long. So if you would like, you could pause this video or podcast right now and go and get your Bibles and read it through and then come back. Wait a minute. You, you have to come back, though, okay? So here's my fair, paraphrase. It's like the paraphrase from Michelle. There was once a family that had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and one brother, Lazarus, and they lived in the town of Bethany. Now, Lazarus was extremely sick, and this family, this family was really special to Jesus, and Jesus loved them, and they loved Jesus. So, with Lazarus failing in health, they sent word to Jesus, and they said, hey, the one you love is sick. Pretty simple message. He's sick. And the implication is what? Come back and heal him. It's a simple message because both Mary and Martha know without a doubt that Jesus could heal Lazarus. Curiously, Jesus gets the message but waits two more days before he goes back to Bethany to be with the family. Now, let's remember that it's very dangerous to go to Bethany at this point. After all, it is there, only a few, a few miles from Jerusalem, that he'd been there 
And it didn't go well. When he was kind of wrangling with the Jewish authorities, he mentioned that he was God's son and the Messiah. And then the opponents picked up stones and wanted to throw them at him and the disciples. And later, he again said to the leaders, boy, Jesus never backed off, did he? That the Father and myself are one. And again, they wanted to stone him. And now he's going back. And of course, the disciple says, hey, Jesus, they're going to kill you. But Jesus says, we're going. Lazarus is asleep. Now, the disciples thought, oh, that means that Lazarus has taken a nap sleeping. But of course, Jesus was saying that Lazarus had died by now. Then Jesus says, I'm glad he's asleep because what will happen next will help you believe in me. And then Thomas, one of the disciples, says this, and I'm quoting from the, the message because they say it back. It says, come along, we might as well die with him. I love that. He didn't really want to go, but he was willing for Jesus. So Jesus goes to the town of Bethany, and Lazarus by this time has been in the tomb for four days. And lots of people have come from Jerusalem to comfort Mary and Martha. So there's a crowd there. But when Martha greets Jesus, she says, Hey, if you'd been here, you could have saved him. But I know that whatever you ask of God, it will be given to you. <laughs> Martha has great faith in Jesus. And Jesus says to Martha, Your brother will rise again. Now, Martha, when she heard that, she said, yeah, I know he's going to rise again because I know at the messianic age he's going to rise. But Jesus didn't mean that. Jesus meant, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And Martha believes. And she gives the, the most amazing faith testimony ever anywhere in the Gospel of John. And I would say anywhere. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And then after that, Mary comes out of the house, followed by all the people that were comforting her. And immediately, Mary falls to her knees and said almost the exact words that Martha said. She said, you know, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And she's crying because she's grieving for Lazarus. And Jesus feels her pain and is heartsick. And Jesus asks Mary, where have you laid him? And the answer is, come and see Jesus. And then the two words that we learn all the way from children, Jesus weeps. And the crowd sees Jesus weeping. And they're moved, and they know without a doubt that, that Jesus loved Lazarus. So, deeply hurting, Jesus goes to the tomb and says, take away the stone. And now, Lazarus has been now in the tomb for four days. And so, by now, he would be decaying, and it would not smell very good at all. It would be horrible. And so, Martha was like, I don't want to roll away the stone. But Jesus says, didn't I tell you that if you believe that you would see the glory of God. So the tomb was opened. Jesus talks to God and says, you know, I'm going to do this so that they will know that you sent me. So Jesus says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And he did. And the people believed that Jesus was the Son of God. The word of God for the people of God. So what does this passage give to us today in our circumstances? 
you know, the circumstances I talked at the beginning where we've suffered so much loss and we're suffering and we don't know when it's going to end. What we have before us is Jesus who is compassionate. We have a Jesus who is loving. We have a Jesus who is vulnerable to the very same things that we're vulnerable to. His friend had died. The sisters are grieving, and so Jesus cries. Isn't that how we live? When we grieve and we suffer, we cry. Jesus cries too. Now, if Jesus says to the crowd that day and to Mary and Martha and Lazarus and again to us that he is the Messiah, that Jesus and the Father are one, what we have here is a God who is compassionate, who is loving, who is vulnerable to our pain. So often we see God as all angry or judging us. You can listen to some people preach like that, can't we? We see God sometimes as distant and just kind of watching us mess up. I remember a very popular song sung by Bette Midler. It was pretty, and I always sing along when it comes to the chorus, but it's so bad in its theology. God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us. What? From a distance. God is up there somewhere watching us and not engaged. But Jesus shows us that God is not remote, that God is not far away, that God weeps when we weep. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of this today, that God is in our midst of it all, of all of this mess, loving and caring and also vulnerable to whatever pains us. That God is the one, when we suffer, when we're sad, when we're angry, when we're lost, when we are fed up, when we just want to go outside and touch someone, that God feels that with us and is there present. I need a God who's willing to bear the stench of death in order to give us new life. We are not alone in our quarantine spaces because that's where God is with us most, that God weeps with us. And to me, this is a game changer. God comes into our lives and gives us new life where we see endings, impossibilities, a mess. Jesus comes in and brings us new beginnings, new possibilities, and yes, to transform something bad into something beautiful. This is not just a down-the-road reality of heaven after we stop breathing. This scripture is all about saying that that reality is now. Jesus says if we believe in him now, we will see the glory of God. I don't know about you, but I need to see the glory of God. Not just later, but today. Thomas said, we might as well go and die with him. Okay, yeah, let's say that together. We might as well go and die with him because we're invited to go with him all the way and to die with him. And in dying with him, we are awakened to the reality of the life in the here and now. In giving our lives over to Jesus, we experience resurrected life today. You know, it means that on this day, this Sunday, even as we wake up in our shrinking spaces, 
that this day is the gift. Let us remember that Jesus does not just raise Lazarus from the grave. I love this in my new commentary. It says, he's making fun of the grave. This illness does not lead to death because I am the resurrection and the life. Say it with me. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. Lazarus rises up and lives. But remember, remember, this isn't like Jesus rising from the dead. Lazarus is just resuscitated because he's going to live tomorrow, but he's eventually going to die again. This is very different from Jesus' experience. This is the human experience. We live and then we die. But Lazarus is given a second chance here. He's given new life. He wakes up after being dead and given the gift of life. And don't you wonder how he spent that life when he breathed that new breath and looked around and saw the faces of Mary and Martha and Jesus? What did he choose to do with that next breath? How did he spend his life after that? What did he do upon waking? Having died to that old life, did he give his new life to the one who was crying for him? The one who opened his grave and told him, you are alive. How did Jesus' love change this new life? And what choices did he make? I was thinking about all of that in these past days. And when I wake up today in this new world of separation, do I, do you wake up and celebrate just the fact that we're alive? Let me speak in my voice. Do I give thanks to the one who gives me life today with a promise of eternal life later? Do I model my life after the one who's willing to open up the graves of my life? The places where I only see endings, only losses, and where Jesus says, hey, it's there that I give you life. The reality is this. Jesus didn't have to go to Bethany. And Jesus did not have to go to Jerusalem. And we have learned through this season of Lent that we don't have to do anything. At the very beginning of these series, I, I made sure we all knew we have free will. The ability to make choices. That's God's gift to us since Adam and Eve. You can make choices. We can make choices. I can make choices. And we're invited once again today to give our lives to Jesus. Will I? Will you? On this last Sunday in the season of Lent, are we willing to give over everything we have to Jesus? To the one who lives in the midst of our lives, who loves us so much that he was willing to die on a cross. This season of Lent has been all about giving up control, giving up expectations, giving up superiority. Last week it was giving up enemies. That was really hard. And today, okay, this is it. This is the all-inness. Are we willing to give up all of ourselves, all of our lives, all of it, even in the midst of this chaos? And we have the choice to say, I, I will follow you wherever you would have me go. These days are challenging, aren't they? And we have to be creative to be Christ to one another. But how will we be the ones to bring hope and love and even joy to those who feel entombed today? We can say this. I will love those that Jesus loves. 
I will pray for those that Jesus loves. And I will serve those that Jesus would have me serve in whatever way I am able. Ultimately, I will give my life over to your will, Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious God, this is it. This is the moment that you offer us. Over and over, you offer us the opportunity to give over ourselves to you. We, we sometimes think it's really hard. Oh, I can't do that. i got to keep a little for myself. But the reality is when we give over our whole lives, we experience this new life in you. And I pray, oh God, as this community of Ocean View and the community at large who hears this message, that we can be a people who are, who are more open to new life, even while we're surrounded by places that feel so tight. In our time of grief and longing for that time where life will be normal, help us to find ways to be you in the world. And may your power and your spirit fill us and propel us to be Christ in this world. In Jesus' name we pray this, and the people say, Amen. And now, um, Greg Walker will play in the garden. Enjoy. Mm -hmm. 